Good morning, Rich family. Happy New Year. How are you today? Amen. Amen. Good to see you guys. You're awesome and wide awake. Uh, some of you are here for the very first time. I want you to know that you're our honored guest. Some of you are here for the second time. You came on Christmas and it was awesome and you had a good experience and you're back. So welcome you guys. We're so glad that you're here. Um, we're also glad to have you guys in the coffee house venue. Good to see you guys. And uh, as we said earlier, we're one church in two locations. And so our Columbia campus is jumping in with us right now. Good morning, Columbia. And a couple of days ago, I got a really awesome Facebook message from somebody in California who says they gather every week to have a watch party and watch bridge services. And they're ready to do that this week and excited about the new year um, for our church and for their watch party. So good morning to those of you in California. And so just all of us, can we just take a second to welcome all of our church family all over the place? Yeah, man, that's right. <clears throat> Well, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here and have the honor today of leading us in our time in the Word. And um, we're going to start a brand new series today that we're just calling There Is More. And uh, this series is based on a verse in the book of Ephesians. And here's the verse. It's um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him, God, who's able to do far more abundantly. Another translation says, Exceedingly abundantly more. Than, we, than all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that's work at work within us. And what the Bible has just told us is that no matter where you are in your faith journey, you might have been a Christian for 50 years, or you might just be here because your New Year's resolution was to finally get things together and you're just kind of kicking the tires of church and trying to figure out if this is the right way to do that. No matter where you are on that spectrum, this verse has just told us that there is more for you, that God has more for your life. The problem is that the world also offers more. But what you know if you've been a Christian for any length of time is that, and maybe even if you're not a Christian yet, you know that what the world often offers just doesn't satisfy what it promises. The world offers more and tells us if we just have more money and more cars and more success and more fame and more houses and more vacations and more relationships and more whatevers, that ultimately that'll satisfy the deep longings in our soul. But what we know is that that's just simply not true. That those things often don't deliver what they promise. They never satisfy the, the deep longings of our souls. And um, I was reminded of this in a really practical, tangible, yet gross way a few years ago. <clears throat> when my daughter was uh, a baby, um, we were all sitting down at dinner and we were having one of our favorite meals as a family. It was um, this meal that my wife loves to make. My wife's in the service right here. Uh, she loves to make this meal that she calls beef burgundy. It's like a um, beef tips and brown gravy over rice. And it's really good. It's one of my favorites. She makes it on my birthday almost every year. So when my daughter Emma, who's 13, was a baby, we were having this meal and uh, we were sitting down for dinner all together, and I loved it so much, I had just scarfed it all down, and, and I was done, and uh, everybody else was still eating, and, uh, and Emma, we just kind of got this aroma in the room that wasn't the beef burgundy, right? And so I knew that Emma needed to have her diaper changed, and so I said, I got this, babe. So I picked Emma up out of her, you know, little high chair, took her in the other room, changed her diaper, you know, baby powder and all, cleaned her back up, brought her back in, and sat her down. And uh, during that process, I decided, man... You know, all that work I just did <laughs> made me hungry again. And so I decided to get more of the beef burgundy. And so I get the rice and put it on the thing and get the, you know, the beef tips and the gravy and put it on the rice and start to eat. And as I look down, <clears throat> I notice that there's some of that gravy on my finger. <laughs> you guys are ahead of me right now. Yeah, that happened. Uh, and so... <clears throat> 
No, but hang on. You don't even know what I'm going to say right yet. And uh, so I, I see there's the gravy on my finger. Yes, I did that. I definitely did that. By the way, if me telling the story about eating my daughter's poop offends you, you will not like our church, okay? Um, and so I totally did that. And what I learned at that moment was that, like, I wanted more, and what I thought was going to satisfy did not, did not satisfy at all. And um, that's so true of our lives. Like the things that the world offers often just, they just don't satisfy. And we know that that's true. And so what we want to talk about in this series is what God offers, the more that God offers. And we want to help you discover the more that God has for your life. And so what I want us to do today is... I want us to ask the question, just as we start the series, do we have a heart that's ready for the more of God? And so what we're going to do today to help us do that is we're going to look at a, a, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And it, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's the story of this lady that had an interaction with the prophet Elisha. And this lady, if you're like a Bible scholar in the room, um, is what Bible scholars call the Shunammite woman. And let me just say, if you've never heard of the Shunammite woman, that is awesome. This church is all about helping people who don't know who the Shunammite woman is get to know God a little bit more, okay? And so we're gonna talk about her interaction with Elisha. And what we're gonna see is three characteristics of a heart that's ready for the more of God. And what I'd like for us to do together this morning is kind of use those three characteristics almost as a diagnostic grid to run our hearts through to discover and really answer the question, do we have a heart that's ready for the more of God? Okay? So here we go. Second Kings chapter four, we're going to start reading in verse eight. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he, maybe it was beef burgundy, I don't really know, urged him to eat some food. And uh, so whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat the beef burgundy. And she said to her husband, behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who's continually passing our way. Let us make, this is so cool, let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Now, what the, I'm going to unpack this in just a minute, but what this story has just told us so far is that the first characteristic of a heart that's ready for more is a heart who's willing to make room for more, to make room for more. Now, um, we don't know a whole lot about this woman, but what we know is that it said she was a wealthy woman. Um, the Hebrew word there, which is the language of the Old Testament, is gadol. And it means that just not, it's more than wealthy. It means that she has a lot of resources. Like she has a lot of stuff and a lot of prominence and a lot of influence. And so the things that she wanted to get done, she could get done. And so of all of those resources and influence that she had, um, she used, she could have done anything. Like she could have put in a swimming pool. She could have built a four donkey garage, like whatever. Like she could have done a lot of stuff, you know? Um, but she chose to use her resources, her time and her efforts um, and, and her resources to, um, to make room 
for God to move. She was making a room for the, the, the prophet of God, for the presence of God to abide. She was making room for more. And eventually, as she built this room and she made room in her life for God to move, what you'll see is, and we'll see in this story, is that God did move. In fact, God moved in a greater way than she could ever imagine. And we see that in the next few verses. Look at verse 16. And he said, this is Elisha to her, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. This woman was an older woman who didn't have a son. We'll get to more of that in just a second. At this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh man of God, do not lie. Now, I love those phrases. If you look at like what they really mean in the original language, it's almost like she's saying, shut up. Seriously? Shut up. Like, it's, that's the kind of phraseology in the original language. No way. Don't you lie to me. Are you kidding me? And so she's so excited and so amazed and so overwhelmed at what's happening in this moment. Because what she's discovering is that God is moving in a greater way than she could ever imagine. So shut up. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to your servant. And then uh, it says, but the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring. Just as Elisha had said to her. Now, as I said, we don't know a lot about her. We don't even know her name. We just call her the Shunammite woman. But the, the story of her is that she, of all the resources, because she was Gadol, right? All the resources that she had, the one thing she didn't have yet, have yet desperately wanted for years and years and years and years was a son. And God moved in a very powerful way and gave her a son, because she made room for the more that God wanted to do in her life. She made room to, that would, a, a room that would put her in the proximity of God moving. And so she made room for the more that God had in her life. Now, what this story is not telling us is that God is... So let me, let me pause a second and say this. So like for those of you who hear that and go... Man, that's, I'm struggling with infertility like her, and that's super painful. Or I've been praying for years for God to heal somebody of this or heal me of whatever, like, and it's just not happening. Are you saying that I just haven't made enough room for God because I pray every day? And I, listen, that's not what the story's teaching us, okay? So, so I, I don't want you to go there in your mind. That's not what the story's teaching. It's, it's not saying that God's like some kind of um, like cosmic, um, you know, like vending machine that where if we do the right things and make the right, you know, uh, investment and then press the right buttons in the right way that God will then spit out what we really want. Like, and if, and if he doesn't spit out what we really want, then we haven't pressed the buttons the right way or invested the right kind of money, right? Like that's, that's not at all what this scripture's teaching. But what the Bible is telling us here is that, that um, it, this, this, the Bible has this story in its pages because it wants us to know the power of making room for more in our lives, the more of God in our lives. And so could it be though, that we don't see God move more in our lives because often we haven't made room for God to move. We haven't made room for God to move. And so I'll tell you, you know, one of the, um, things that prevents me most often, I think from experiencing the more that God has and making room for God to move lives in my back pocket is this right here. Um, sociologists tell us that the average person spends uh, about um, five hours a day on your phone. In fact, sociologists will say that about every 10 minutes, the average American has to go back to your phone. And you know that this is true. I do the same thing. Like we just somehow we can't get away. And 
Actually, there's a, a mental thing, scientists tell us, that goes on in our minds and our brain um, produces um, endorphins in a way that it's, it's, it's almost an addictive thing. Like we, it's, we just go back to it over and over, about every 10 minutes. And what sociologists say is that um, the average American will experience incredible anxiety if they don't go back to their phone about every 10 minutes. Um, sociologists also say that uh, the average American spends about two hours a day on social media. Now I love social media, two hours a day. That seems incredible to me, like, like amazing, almost unthought of, uh, unheard of to me. But that's two hours of clicking and scrolling and did somebody comment, did somebody like, like two hours a day. If you add that up over all the years of your life, if you're a person who's 30 um, or under, that's more than seven years of your life. Seven years spent scrolling and looking and checking. Did they like this? Did they comment on this? Well, he got more likes than I did. She got more comments than I did. did they, why didn't they like my post? They liked her post. Why didn't, you know, all, seven years of those things. And just what I found in my life is I love social media and I love to post things that you engage with and that kind of stir up our affection for Jesus and our excitement about what God's doing among us. But what I found in my life is that this thing really distracts me from the thing that's most important in my life, and that is spending time with the people in my life that I love, and more importantly, allowing God the margin in my life, the, the, the room to be able to speak and move in my life in a really powerful way. And I feel that tug all the time, and so do you. You feel that tug as well. And, and I want us just to imagine for a second how much more God could do in our lives if we just simply make room, make more room. And so the question I want to ask is, like, what is it in your life that's just distracting you? Um, sociologists say we're the most distracted society in the history of the planet. What is it in your life that's distracting you, that's keeping you from making room in your life for God to move, for the more of God to be in your life. I was really convicted, so convicted about this thing in my life that a few weeks ago, um, I actually asked Vanessa, my wife, to give me a, a Christmas present of an old school alarm clock. So instead of using my phone for an alarm clock next to my bed, um, it now lives in the, in the living room to charge at night. And I have an old school, old person radio alarm clock, right? But it's awesome because it has a, listen, this is so cool. It has a projector that projects the time on the ceiling so I can just stare at the ceiling. Anybody have one of those? It, two people in the room and those two people know there's more when it comes to alarm clocks, there's more, right? Uh, and so, but I was so convicted that, uh, that I wanted to move the thing that was distracting to me out of my life to make space for the last thing I do when I go to bed, uh, to, to be, and hold my wife's hand and just pray, God, thank you so much for the day and the way you've been real to us and the way you've moved in our lives. And the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, God, before my feet hit the floor, I want to give this day to you. And I want to experience more of you. And I want you to do more in me than I can ever ask or imagine today. And I was so convicted by that, that I, that I tried to create space in my life for God to move. I tried to make room for more. And some of you, that's what you need to do too. You, you feel just like me. And so you just need to turn the phone off or you need to cancel Netflix 
or you need to unplug the Xbox and stop playing Fortnite, right? You need to stop. You need, some of you need to do all those things because you realize like I do that my life is too valuable, that my call is too important, that my God is too great to waste it on things that do not matter because there is more. There's more. And so I want to make room in my life for more. So we make room. We make room for more. Now, also, the second thing is this, that <laughs> it's this, <laughs> it's this, that more is found in moments of less. More is found in moments of less. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Look at this verse. When the child had grown, this is the child that was born to the Shunammite woman, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said his father, oh, my head, my head I got a headache, he said to his dad. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. <laughs> and when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. Now, having a son in that day was super important. Like, it's important today, right? But in that day, it was super important. Like, a life without a son in that day was a life that was considered incomplete. It was a son that would um, distribute the inheritance the right way. It was a son that would carry on the family name. It was the son that would take care of them in their old age when there was not a health care system to do that. The son would do those things. And so a life without a son was a life that was considered incomplete. And for years, she'd gone without one. But then God, in a miraculous way, when she made room for more, like he gave her more, he gave her the son and now he's gone. And so you think about that. And as you analyze that, you think, what? I don't get that. Like, why is that? And the answer is because more is often found in moments of yes, of less. What we're about to see is God do even more. Like he'd done something really awesome, but he's about to do even more. And he's going to do it in a moment of less. And we'll see it in verse 32 and those that follow. Look, when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child laying dead on his bed. So he went in and he shut the door behind the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. Uh, Then he went up and he lay on the child, putting his mouth, this is the weirdest thing, we'll come back to this in a second, but this is the weirdest little section of this story. Put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and he walked once back and forth in the house and went up up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. This is so weird, and I don't know why he mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, uh, laid on him, flesh, and I don't know why he sneezed seven times. That's a weird story. But what we know here is that something really incredible just happened. Like the child was dead, and now the child is alive. Like she'd seen God as she made room for more, miraculously give her a son, and then take the son away, and then now do something even more spectacular than an old lady having a baby is raising somebody from the dead. And that's what we just saw happen right here. And, and the, the, the deal, though, is that to do this in her, she, the, the Lord had to get her to a place of weakness and dependence. To do this in her, the Lord had to get her to a place of less so that he could do more. More is often found in the moments of less. And listen, the blessing of God is found in our weakness. 
We often think like, in times when we're weak, like, man, I just, I got to be strong today. I got to be strong for this person or for that person or so I can do this thing. Come on, Lord, give me the strength. I just need to be strong today. And what this passage is teaching us is that, man, um, what, what we really maybe don't need as much is strength. What we need more than strength is weakness because it's not our weakness that keeps us from the power of God. It's actually our strength that often keeps us from the power of God because that's when we say, man, I can do it myself. I don't, I don't need God. And so God sometimes to do more in our lives has to get us to moments of less because it's in those moments of less that God will do more. He'll do more. That's right. Um, a few years ago, I read this book by a guy named Larry Crabb. And uh, he wrote a book called Shattered Dreams. And it's a really great book. And it, the, the idea of it is that sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives that he calls dreams. Like things that, that were awesome, that we wanted to go a certain way, but they didn't go that way. That's what he calls shattered dreams. And here's a quote from that book. He says, sometimes God allows dreams to shatter to give you the capacity to dream the highest dream. The highest dream that we could ever dream is to know God, to really experience him. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that God often allows less because more is found in moments of less. The way we think though sometimes is that those moments of less, we kind of sometimes think that it's those moments of less that are actually like God's judgment on us. But what Larry Crabb has just said and what this text has just told us is that those things are not the, the judgment of God. Those things are the goodness and the mercy of God. And in his goodness, in his mercy, sometimes he gives us things that we can't conquer. Sometimes he gives us um, death of someone we love or he gives us, though he hates it, sometimes he allows divorce in our lives or sometimes he allows a job loss or maybe a health scare. Sometimes God allows things that we can't conquer because it's in those moments when we learn to depend on him like never before. It's in those moments of less when we actually experience more. We experience more. And listen, if dependence on God is the goal, then weakness is the greatest blessing we can have because it's the vehicle that gets us to dependence. Um, I ran across a story this week in my research about um, Abraham Lincoln. And the story, the article said that Abraham Lincoln, uh, when in 1865, was not the same Abraham Lincoln as in 1861 when he became the president. Um, and the story goes on to talk about how a lot of the things that he accomplished, like the Emancipation Proclamation that literally changed the trajectory of our country, um, that was a God-honoring thing, right? Um, th- that he could not have accomplished in 1861 um, because he felt powerful in himself. And he couldn't have accomplished, the article said he could not have accomplished these things had he not gone through something. And the something was that his 11-year-old son, Willie, unexpectedly died and it broke him. And if he said for the first time in his life, the article said he felt powerless. And so here's what the article said about Abraham Lincoln. It said, those moments taught him to seek God bigger than himself. And his newfound belief uh, in, uh, that God and his purposes, in God and his purposes gave him the courage to issue the Emancipation Proclamation because he knew God wanted it. So he was determined to stand against the whole country if that's what it took. See, Abraham Lincoln learned, like this text is teaching us, and like Larry Crabb has told us, that more is found in moments of less. And so let me say to you this morning, like, if you're going through a moment that you just can't conquer, 
It's a moment of less in your life. Just know, listen, embrace it. Rather than running away from it, like we've touched a hot stove, rather than running away from those moments, embrace those moments and allow God to deepen your dependence on and your experience of him in a greater way than he could without that thing. More is found in moments of less. And a heart that's ready for more makes room for more, but also recognizes that more is found in the moments of less. And then there's the third thing. Here it is. The third thing is this, that a heart that's ready for God to to bring more is a heart that's persistent and consistent. Look at these verses. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. This is the Shunammite woman. Came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. By the way, this is after her son had died, but before God, uh, God had used Elisha to raise him from the dead. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, it's like his executive assistant, look, there's the Shunammite. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. Then she said to him, did I ask uh, my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then the mother of the child said, "As, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Now, here's what we saw several times in those verses that we just read. We saw that she ran after God. And that she kept on and that she grabbed a hold of the man of God's feet and she kept on and she kept going and she like wasn't going to take, she was like a bulldog. She wasn't going to take no for an answer. She just kept coming, you know? And what this text is teaching us is that if we want God to do more, because it was after this that God then raised her son from the dead through the prophet Elisha. What this text is saying is that if we want to see God do more, many times we've said this often here at the bridge, many times it's not as much about intensity as it is about consistency. It's not as much about intensity as it is consistency. A heart that uh, sees God do more and is ready for more is a heart that's persistent and consistent. She's saying, she said, I'm sticking with this. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to keep coming. I'm I'm keeping on. God, I'm not quitting. I'm going to continue to pursue you until you move. Um, One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Matthew 6, 33. And it's been my life verse since I was one of them, since I was in high school. In fact, when I got my high school graduation ring, I had that verse, Matthew 6, 33, engraved on the inside of my ring. Uh, it's in my office. There's a print of Matthew 6, 33. Here's what it says. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, here, here's what that really means. It doesn't mean a one-time seeking. It means you seek and then you keep seeking, and then you keep seeking, and then you keep coming, and you keep coming, and you don't stop. And if you take a day where you kind of slide back, then you, you say, okay, whatever, I'm going to keep coming. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to be consistent and persistent. Seek first, consistently and persistently, the kingdom of God. And listen, after following Jesus for 31 years, one of the things that I've just come to realize is that sometimes the more that God has for you is only appropriated through consistency. And I don't necessarily always get that, but I just know that God often works more through consistency than intensity. And the more God has for you will come as your heart is consistent and persistent. Uh, several years ago, Lifeway Research did a project where they, um, they, they like looked at research people who were at one point like here in their walk with God, but several years before or sometime before, they were not as far along. They were some, some ways back. 
And they looked at what are the things that were in that person's life that caused them to get from here to now where they were to to the here, right? What caused them to get from here to here? And what they found were, were that there were two things that were overwhelmingly present in the people who were once here and now they're here in their walk with Jesus. And those two things were consistency in their time in prayer and in the word of God. Nothing will change your life more. Nothing will will move you, conform you more to the image of Jesus than will consistency and persistence in your time in prayer and in the word. So maybe for some of you, one of the greatest things you can do in this new year is to make room in your schedule, in your day. It's not that you don't have enough hours. It's that you haven't appropriated the hours the right way. It's to make room in your schedule. For you to spend time, for more, by spending time in the word of God and in prayer every day. And we want to help you with that. And so that's why when you came in, you got one of these little booklets right here. Um, 21 days of prayer is a time where we as a church body just come together and we say, man, for the next 21 days, we're going to together be persistent and consistent to dive into prayer and the word of God. Sociologists tell us that it takes 21 days for something to become a habit in our lives. 21 days of consistency for something to become a habit. That's why 21 days. And so we want to invite you, whether you've been here for years and years or it's your first time here, you will experience more of God if you'll join with us in the next 25 days in this journey through 21 days of prayer. In this book, you'll find um, some scripture for you to dive into and meditate on and pray through every week. And then you'll find some prayer points for you to be able to pray, uh, some things to guide you in your prayer time for you and for our church and for what God wants to do in and through us and around the world. And there is a space there also for you to journal. And sometimes I've just found that in my own relationship with Jesus, some of the greatest things that I do is to, that help me kind of sear in what God's doing in my life is just to write down my thoughts, write down my prayers as God speaks. And so there's some space for you to do that. I'd encourage you to spend time uh, in, that, in that journal every day. If you did not get one of those, you can get one on your way out there by the doors on your way out. Or you can go to bridge.tv slash 21 days and download a digital copy there. Okay, And so that's a way for us to consistently and persistently be in the word of God together. All right. Now, um, I want to wrap this up today by speaking to us very pastorally for just a second. First, individually, and then corporately, okay? So let's go individually first. Remember that weird part of the story where Elisha lays on the little kid and puts his face to his face and his eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, all that? He, he lays on top of the kid and then the, the, the child raises from the dead. His body gets warm and he sneezes seven times. It's a weird thing. And as I, we read that a few weeks ago in um, our read the book reading plan, and I read that and I, was, I, like I even went to my wife and I said, that's the weirdest story I've ever heard. We were laughing together about it. Why? Why is that there? Like, why did those things happen that way? The answer to that question is, is, is kind of uncovered when you think about the image of the little boy, like if you were looking from above. If you were looking from heaven at this little boy, would you even be able to see the little boy? Nope. You know what you'd see? You'd see the prophet Elisha. And what I realize is this, that that story is there and it's that way because it is a picture of how Jesus would save us. You see, Jesus took upon himself our flesh and he, uh, and God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So he completely covered us, slain in our place, so that when God looks down from heaven, 
He doesn't see our mess. He doesn't see our junk. He doesn't see our moments of less. He doesn't see our weakness and our shame. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. That is awesome, man. That's a great promise. And listen, if Jesus can defeat death, isn't he powerful enough to defeat the problems in your life, to conquer the things in your life that are those moments of less? There is no circumstance in your life too dead for Jesus to make it alive again. And so you might be here today and you might say, man, my marriage is a marriage that's dead. Listen, your marriage is not too dead for Jesus to make it alive again. Uh, you might be here and you might just say, man, I just feel lonely all the time. I don't have any rich, richness or depth in my relationships. Listen, your relationships are not too dead for Jesus to make them alive again. Jesus can make your relationships alive. In your relationships, there is more. Maybe you're here today and, and you have to force yourself to roll out of bed in the mornings. You don't feel any sense of meaning, any sense of purpose. And every day you just say to yourself like, there's got to be more than this. Listen, as certain as Jesus is a death conqueror, there is more. There is more for you. Maybe 2018 was a, an, an awful year. And you're here because you just go, man, I don't know if this will work, but like, I want to get in church because maybe that'll help my 2019 be better. And you resolve to do everything you can to like make 2019 the best year. Listen, if this story reminds us of anything, this story reminds us that Jesus can make hearts that feel dead inside because of what has just happened be alive again. Listen, for you, there is more. There's more. Maybe you've been a Christian for years and you just like, You've just hit a ceiling, just a lid in your relationship with Jesus. Listen, as certain as the tomb is empty, there is more for you. There is more, Bridge family. Now, let me talk to us corporately as a body. Because see, here's the deal. Like, um, we've seen God do incredible things in our history as a church. In fact, we've just said it kind of like this. Like, it, it's, we're almost like a kite caught in a hurricane of grace around here. We've just seen God do more <laughs> over the years. Just amazing things. And it's because our hearts have had these three characteristics. You have made room in your life for more. You've recognized that, man, even the difficult moments of my life, the moments of less, it's in those that I get more of God. I experience him greater. And you've been consistently in the word of God and consistently giving your life away as you serve on Sundays and Wednesdays and every day of the week and consistently giving of your, your financial resources. You've been consistent and persistent in your relationship with God. And because of that, we've seen God do incredible things. In fact, I want to just kind of give you a year in review, a 2018 year in review of how we've seen God do more among us. In January last year, we saw 1,360 people sign up for bridge groups. In February, there was a boy named Jack. And Jack was a young boy, fifth or sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade, who got horrible news from a doctor that it appeared he had a cancerous tumor in his brain. His small group of sixth or seventh grade boys got together, prayed over him, and as he went back to the doctor, there was no tumor. In March, we launched our Columbia campus, and we saw 1,200 people in Columbia on the first day that that campus was open. The first day. In April, we had Easter Sunday, and we saw 214 people across both campuses and all of our services lift their hands saying, I want to commit my life to Christ. 214 people. In May, we celebrated two months at our Columbia campus, and we'd already seen 24 salvations in just the first 10 weeks. In just the first 10 weeks. In June, we saw 17 students give their lives to Christ at student camp. One 
who didn't have a father. It's just amazing. And uh, not having a father caused him to have some big walls in his life. And big walls toward his heavenly father and toward people in his life. And he ended up being scholarshiped to go to camp. And at camp, he ended up in a small group with someone named Steve in our church who just so happened to have also grown up without a father. And Steve, through conversations at camp, was able to lead him to the Lord. And he found Jesus and freedom in Jesus that he never had before. That was in June. In July, we saw over 6,500 people show up at food trucks and fireworks. And over 940 people show up for a night of worship at 21 Days of Prayer, at the end of our 21 Days of Prayer in July. And that still today is the largest worship gathering that we've ever had in our bridge history. That was a prayer and worship gathering, the largest service we've ever had. We ended up that month with over 400 people going into our community on Love My City Saturday to use their talents and their time and their efforts to make a difference. And it did in our community. That's July. In August, we paid off the mortgage of a crisis pregnancy center in Columbia, helping to save over 200 unborn lives every year through our partnership with them. In September, we saw over 400 students, 400 teenagers show up for the first ever night that we called the X, which is when our, both our student ministries at both campuses come together. We saw 30 students give their hearts to Christ that night and five more follow God in baptism. And we had 2,000 people connect to bridge groups in, um, in September so that they could find freedom through relationships as God uses each other to develop their relationships with him. In October, we know that a church is only as strong as its volunteers. And we had what we call team night where we celebrated 1,400 volunteers that use their, of you that use your talents um, every week to create ministry environments that point people to Christ. And Also in October, we were named the fifth fastest growing church in the nation by God's grace. But listen, that's not even that important because we want to be the number one healthiest church in the nation. Amen? Amen. In November, we broke ground on what right here in our Spring Hill uh, campus is our our new um, worship center, our new auditorium uh, expansion that's a building that's going to help us reach over 10,000 people for Jesus in the years to come. And it's well on its way. You've seen the progress out there. In December, we had so many people that wanted to get baptized that we actually had to create another special um, service in the coffee house venue after baptism Sunday because those people didn't want to wait. And one of them was a Marine who was leaving on July, uh, January 2nd. But he said, before I go, I want to publicly profess Christ to my friends and my family. Then at our Christmas services just a couple of weeks ago, we saw over 4,000 people cram into bridge worship gatherings and over 150 people give their lives to Christ. Come on, somebody. Can you give Jesus a shout of praise for that? Listen. That's right. Amen. Listen. We've seen God do more. But as sure as Jesus is a death conqueror, as sure as the tomb is empty, there is still more. There is still more, Bridge family, if our hearts are ready for more. And so my prayer is that those three things we talked about would characterize your heart and mine in the new year. And we'll see God do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's pray that together. Jesus, thank you that you're a death conqueror. Jesus, thank you that um, the tomb is empty, that this story reminds us of the fact that you are that death conqueror that can make our hearts alive again. And God, uh, the story reminds us that if we'll make room for you in our lives, there'll be more. And so God, I pray that you would make us a people 
make us families and small groups and men and women and, and boys and girls who, who weep over the fact that we haven't yet experienced more of you. God, would you give us the grace and a burden in our hearts to create room for more and to recognize those moments of less and to embrace them even though they're hard because that's when you give us uh, those moments of less because that's when you give us more. God, would you give us the grace that in the days ahead when we feel tugged and distracted by other things, would you give us the grace to be consistent and persistent in our time with you? God, would you do more? In the name of Jesus, would you do more?